1: Welcome to Homeschool Your Way. I'm your host, Jana Cook, and Bookshark's community manager. Today, I am honored to introduce my guest, Jenny Yurich, founder of A Thousand Hours Outside. She is a homeschool mom of five, and her passion to bring back the balance between the virtual and the outsides world, it comes alive in her new book, Until the Streetlights Come On. Jenny is here to encourage us with her homeschool journey. Jenny, welcome to the podcast.
2: Yay! Thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm honored to be here. I can't believe that you said yes, first of all, because you are a very busy woman. You are a homeschool mom of five. You're an author. You're a speaker. You're getting outdoors a thousand hours in a year. So you
2: read abundantly. How do you find the time? I have no idea. You know, I just, people are always asking that question, right? I think that I just come at each day and i've always done this with what's the most important and then a lot of the other things drop and so that's what we do like so, for example, here's an example. I don't know when this goes live, but today is November 29th, and we have this free outdoor advent calendar with these fun little ideas that you can put in a little advent calendar for December and it comes out. You know, December 1st is the first day and actually that's probably wrong because I think Advent is actually like four weeks. I don't know. I think I'm wrong with it. It starts on a Friday, but anyway, we just do it like starting on December 20 on December 1st to December 24th and I just posted about it today (laughs) because, you know, because it's like in two days and so that's kind of how we operate. It's like uh, what needs to happen today. We do that and then lots of other things drop.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's the being intentional with what you're passionate about. So just so you know, I did download
2: <laughs> the it was today. a better answer than mine. You're like, Yeah, let me tell you what your answer no. should be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm not the author here. I'm not the speaker. I am the one that just gets to talk to you about all the uh, these things that you have done to encourage not only just homeschool families, but families in general. And it's something that really um has resonated with all communities. It shows by your Instagram following of over 550,000 people. I mean, that's huge. Obviously, your message is something that people are hungry for. So, mm-hmm. let's start Start with what a thousand hours outside is.
2: Okay, here's what it is. It is a goal to get outside for one thousand hours in a year. <laughs> That's it. That's all that it is. But as simple as it sounds, it's not very easy. Partially just because of how busy we are as a society. Partially because of how much pressure we feel as parents. And partially just because no kids are playing outside anymore so it's not as easy to shoot your kids out the front door to go play with the neighborhood kids but even though it's a simple premise the impact is really profound because it is helping your kids develop in every facet in every way that they could possibly develop their cognition their social skills their emotional well-being their physical health for those who are interested the spirituality and it also if you're going together as a family it's helping to bring you closer and to form all sorts of bonds. So that's what it is. And it is one of those things that has really caught on across the globe. There are families from all walks of life who are joining in. So families that homeschool, and families that don't homeschool, and families that both parents work or their single mom or any of the different situations that people aim for it. Maybe they aim for something that's even a little bit smaller, but they're just being intentional and celebrating those hands-on moments in a technological world.
1: I will say that as a young mother of a set of twin girls and then an, another one came into <laughs> our family, I I I mean I'm want to be very honest, I wasn't happy in motherhood. I mean, and you kind of talked about that a little bit in your book like and I thought, what's wrong with me? I am mm-hmm. supposed to be so happy. I wanted these children and I'm sitting in my house And I'm, I felt like I was dying inside. I remember getting in the shower and just crying and be like this, maybe I just wasn't cut out for this. Like what? I always wanted to be a mom. I was excited to have kids, be married and have kids. And when I started leaving my house, and doing activities with my kids. Like just things as I'm reading through your book, I was like, oh, we did that, yes, check the box. <laughs> you know, I'm like, a, <laughs> or maybe reverse engineering it. I'm like saying, I'm patting myself on the back as I look back because I was like, yes, sure. okay. I had a community um, of new moms. We moved into a new neighborhood and we all had kids around the same time. So we would get together. Those were the best days because mm-hmm. our kids were playing. We were being able to, you know, talk and and whether it was laugh or cry or whatever it was. There were times though, where I was like, why are my kids the ones that won't leave me alone? <laughs> Everyone else's kids are playing, but it, w- it was those times. And I think the honesty of that, Sometimes parenthood, a lot of times parenthood is not what we thought it was or we read about or we see in the movies. And instead of thinking something's wrong with us, you really gave me and others permission to say,
2: what's wrong with how we're doing it? Yeah, because I think that is the thing. I, I, in other cultures, and I really read a transform, transformational I guess book this past year called Hunt to Gather Parent by Michaeline Duclef. And there was a sentence in there that really stuck with me. And she said that in certain cultures, they say um, a mother is never alone with a crying baby. I was like, whoa, what would your motherhood experience be like if that were true? You're never alone with a crying baby. There's always someone there, an aunt, a friend, a cousin, someone's there to support you and i think part of it is that we're just alone and we're disconnected from nature and nature naturally engages children and so it takes the pressure off of us as mothers and that community aspect is so important and so it isn't i think that we are bad moms it's just that i do think i mean i think i did it wrong you know when i started being a when i became a mom and started having these kids and i was I was miserable. I was so miserable. I love my kids and I was like, this is awful. And I just think it was a change in how I was doing it. And at that time, I think it's talked about more, but at that time, no one was really talking about like, hey, one of the keys is your kids should be outside. Yeah. And I think what compounded
1: my situation was I kind of felt like we were being a little countercultural by staying home, especially in the community that we were in. It was like, oh, you're not going to put your, you know, you're staying home with your kids, but you have, you have degrees, you have skills. Why are you, why are you staying home with your kids? And so it was this added pressure of, I've got to be, I've got to do this right, but I'm miserable. So what am I doing wrong? This was my choice. It's my bed. I got to lay in it, you know, and it was when I started to get outside the house, take my kids outside doing those fun things that it really made a difference. And then I think that translated into our homeschool so well, because Mm -hmm. we didn't homeschool from the very beginning. And when we started to homeschool, we had moved out to some property and it was just like, yeah, y'all need to go. Y'all need to get, y'all need to, you know, come to me if there's blood, but honestly, this is, if this is not the safest place that you could be, there is no safer place in my mind. And so we were able to then, you know, start homeschooling and, and find groups that were having that same kind of experience where we would get together and we, the kids would play for hours. I didn't even know, you know, I mean, yeah. they're old enough. Now nobody can call social services. on me, But at that time it was like, Oh, <laughs> you know,
2: but that, no that is really how up. life, yeah. Life used to be like that. And there's, if you want to, If you want to read a book and have your eyes open there's a book called free to learn by dr peter gray and he is someone who studied basically like the biology of children and how childhood is supposed to be and so he talks about how forever like children have always just played and they've played primarily on their own there hasn't been adult oversight and so the age that he talks about of the tipping point to where they're pretty capable of making decisions is four. Four is the age. And so he talks about how when he was four, his grandma taught him how to walk to the store. It was a couple blocks away. And I don't know how old Dr. Peter Gray is, but you know, he's, I don't know, maybe he's in his 60s or 70s. But he, when he was four, he would walk to the store by himself to buy, to buy his grandma cigarettes, <laughs> that's what he would do. But I mean he's 4 years old and I I think today it's like we wouldn't even probably let our 14 year old do that and so times have really changed. But what it does when we let our kids play and and you have to go in stages, right? I mean our kids don't necessarily that you know they walk in the neighborhood across the street, you know, they're in their teens now. So I think things have shifted a little older, but even if you're just there and kind of on the periphery and so you're You're around, you know, you can feel comfortable about that. But when they play away from adult eyes, there is so much going on in their lives that they're controlling and that they're learning. And then it's good for you too, because you get a break. So that is one of, I think the biggest things that people are concerned about with homeschooling is, how when will i get a break like how am i gonna be able to do this and that's what happens you know if you want a little time to read your novel if you want to sew something if you want to talk with a friend that's where it happens it happens in an environment where everyone is engaged on their own you didn't have to pack a bunch of stuff in order to help them be engaged and you just get to hang out in the sunshine or the wind or the rain or whatever it is and have a fulfilling life well, they're occupied. It's like a win-win.
1: So you and I seem like we probably had a similar ages growing up. And like you said, we we had very little supervision. I mean, like there were some bad instances that I could point out in my life <laughs> when that was occurred. But I tell people, my brother and I did a paper route when we were probably eight and 10. We got up at 430 in the morning, rolled the papers, went out on our bikes in the dark before the sun had come up in our neighborhood I mean, and that is like, you tell that somebody now, just like walk a four-year-old walking to buy cigarettes, and it's like horrifying. Do you, yeah. in all of your research, do you see when that shift started, when we started to be more as parents controlling or fearful or unwilling to mm-hmm. let
2: our children
1: be independent?
2: Yeah, I think it happened in the 90s. It started in the 90s. And so there's a couple of things that... Are talked about in terms of the tipping point school schooling changed so the no child left behind this verbiage that we're going to be bad parents because our kid is behind someone else's so even programs like head start they have this connotation that this is a race and you better start now so that you can get your child ahead so that happened and so there's a lot more focus on school and then in the media i think there was a lot more focus on abductions and fearful stories, though everything you read said kids are safer now than they ever have been, but that type of thing started to happen. So it's a combination of this extracurricular activity and schoolwork and tutoring, so no one's outside to play with, there's safety in numbers. So if you're gonna go on a paper route with your brother, there's safety in numbers. If your kid's gonna go outside and there's, my father-in-law grew up on a street where within the first six houses on either side, there was 72 kids, Wow, 72, there's safety in numbers. So, you know, your kid's gonna go outside and there's a bunch of other kids playing there. And so we lost that as well. So it was a lot of influences, I think. And then, you know, you've got the video games that started to become more immersive in the nineties as well. And so kids are more enticed to stay inside and less enticed to be outside and so, all of that, I think, contributed toward a more indoor childhood.
1: What's interesting is that this generation, us as parents, we allowed it to happen, right? Because we grew up outside. We, I mean, my husband tells my girl stories about how in the summer he'd get on his bike and he'd be gone all day. I mean, and same thing, like make sure you're back before dark, right? When the streetlights come on, like it's important, but it's, you know, we allowed it. I don't, I don't know. Like I try to, I try to live intentionally and I don't ever want to be afraid. I think there's definitely things to be mindful of and whatnot, but I'm saddened when I look around and I said, don't you remember? We didn't, we didn't have our parents around all the time. We, we stayed out. My parents let us, I was walking with my husband the other day and I said, you know, my parents let us swim in our swimming pool in the summer with no supervision at night. Like I wouldn't, I wow. don't even, I'm just now trying to be more comfortable letting my kids swim without supervision. Right. Because I just mm-hmm. think oh, not on my watch, but now my 18 year old girls, the summer got up and got grabbed our paddle boards and went to the lake without me with their friends, which when you get to that point, that's sad too, because you want to be mm-hmm. at the lake with your yeah. girls and their friends. And you have to also <laughs> let Can that I go because <laughs> they Want some independence from their adventurous sure. mom. But, you know, we did, we kind of bought into the lie that this is how it had to be. And it was for the best for everybody. And your um movement is helping kind of open people's eyes to the fact that like, we're kind of duped. Like we don't have to, yeah. we don't have to live this way anymore. And we're seeing, you know, the detriment to our children because of these things, these, these generations. Mm -hmm. So now that we can kind of reverse that, I think, you know, the uh, being outside the idea of homeschooling outside education, outside the box, all of these things, we're kind of getting our, our rebellious spirit back. And we're like, no, we're, you don't you can't
2: tell me how to do it I want to do it my way right well because I think it was well-intentioned I do think that it was well-intentioned it was just the wrong path and so people are seeing the ramifications of that and they're seeing the fact that kids are really struggling and I know you're going to be talking to a young man named Sean Killingsworth It's going to be just so amazing for your podcast but what he talks about is basically how he lost his childhood. And he was so excited about having a childhood. He's in his 20s, early 20s. And he is in that guinea pig generation where there weren't that many boundaries placed on these things and kids were on screens all the time. And he didn't get that unhampered play that all of us got. And his story is actually really grieving. And so if you're homeschooling, it's an important one to listen to because it will, increase your resolve to stick with it you know because you can be the one that says hey when everyone comes over we put our phones in a basket you can delay a lot of those things it's a lot easier because there's less pressure and and it matters it matters for your kids they really get a different type of childhood than one where they're in a classroom and as soon as the bell rings everyone's on their phone even within the classroom setting i think in a lot of schools kids are on the computer all day it's open on their desk all day long and so from a homeschooling perspective this freedom and this opportunity to get outside to use your time differently to have social interactions that are electronic free these things are huge benefits and i know it's so hard it is a huge sacrifice Often we're losing an income or we're having to work side jobs and all these types of things. It is a huge sacrifice. But especially when you listen to that Sean story, it will remind you that it is so worth it for you and for your kids, for everyone, because they're getting experiences in a different type of childhood that's more aligned with how it used to be and how their bodies are driven to learn through social experiences and to learn a little bit away from adults sometimes to learn risk and all of those types of things.
1: Who wants a coupon? Yeah, you want a coupon. We all love getting dollars off a purchase, right? Well, Bookshark has a coupon, especially for podcast listeners. You can get it by visiting the Bookshark website. So go to bookshark.com, of course, and then add slash podcast dash five to that URL. Again, that's bookshark.com slash podcast dash five. From there, you get a unique single use code that gives $5 off anything at bookshark.com. Anything at all, no minimum purchase required. So yes, you could buy a single title if you like. There are so many good books on Bookshark's website from history to science to fiction. Or you could put your $5 towards an instructor's guide, maybe a hands-on kit. You don't have to buy a full curriculum package to use this coupon. It's valid on any purchase at all. Go ahead and open a browser to bookshark.com slash podcast five and get your free $5 store coupon. The $5 podcast listener coupon is limited to one per household, one coupon per order. I think one of the pitfalls that I have seen in our homeschooling communities is that kind of like what we talked about in the beginning, when people make a choice to be countercultural, they succumb to this added pressure that they have to prove they made a good choice. So I know Mm -hmm. when I first started homeschooling my kids, I was not having the fun. And enjoying it, and then at one point, my daughter's crying, and I'm like, "Like you're crying literally over handwriting without tears, like drips, <laughs> like of tears, like this." There's like, got to be I need something. a refund. <laughs> there's got to be something wrong with this. But it's getting comfortable and getting, you know, and getting a community around you that says, you know, it's not about how they perform. It's not if they can keep up with their peers just because you're doing it in a different way. It really is a lifestyle switch. I like to tell people, like, you're coming to a a different island. We have a a different uh, climate, different vernacular, and it's going to take you a while to assimilate. But because our natural tendency is just to want to do what we've always done in a different setting, and that Mm -hmm. is not using homeschooling
2: to its fullest, Yeah, it can be scary. A a lot of people that homeschool, they went to public school for 13 years. So you're stepping into something that is brand new. I like a quote by John Taylor Gatto where he says, and it fits so well with your podcast because you talk about there's not a one size fits all approach. So John Taylor Gatto says, there's as many ways to become educated as there are fingerprints. So there's Mm -hmm. complete individuality. So let me tell you a story. We have five kids and I was really influenced a lot by john holt by john taylor gatto john holt has a book it's one of my favorites called learning all the time and it's one of those short ones so good for homeschoolers but the subtitle is how young children learn to read write do math and investigate the world without being taught so like wait what you know what that just does not compute we start teaching kids and i did i started teaching our oldest his letters when he was (laughs) 18 months how ridiculous I you know what I was doing, we were doing letter crafts, I mean it was out of control, I, I can't even believe I did it looking back. But I, I over the years I read these books like john holtz and how kids and Peter Gray, they they're biologically designed to self educate self educate so that means. I'm not doing quite as much as i thought i was so important you know i'm going to direct it all well no they self-educate quite a bit so for our oldest four kids we waited to teach reading until they were a little bit older so that's counterculture we waited till seven and actually they say that the age the normal age of reading is like three to twelve it can be all the way into middle school so we don't have to be super concerned about the timeline but I thought, well, we're gonna wait a little bit. The Waldorf School, they wait, and Finland, they wait. And we did this book, How to Teach Your Child to Read in a Hundred Easy Lessons. And I know there's a lot of great reading materials out there. So anyway, it worked fine with our kids. Well, with our fifth child, I was like, I'm so intrigued by this John Holt book. I'm like, could she really learn how to read and write without me explicitly teaching? And I tell you what, Jana, she sure, she sure did. I mean, I <laughs> she reads. we didn't do the book so what happened is you know she hit the age where she wanted to and i know this doesn't work for every kid right so if you got a child that has dyslexia different learning styles you're gonna have to approach it differently and that's the whole it's not one size fits all thing but it worked and i think when you step into doing something differently in time you become really confident because you see that little by little, it worked, it worked last time, it's working now, and you can step back and trust that your child is gonna grow at their own pace, and they're gonna grow into this whole healthy person by the time they become an adult, and then they're gonna continue to grow, right? Because here we sit, I was a math teacher, here I sit on a podcast, I mean, as an author, this is not anything that I was trained to do. I was not good at English. I can't spell. I tried to spell the word yesterday, penitentiary. No idea. I don't know. I mean, like the the spell check didn't even pick it up. I was so far off because this guy who wrote a book called Playberhood, Mike Lanza, he was talking about how our, our yards now seem like penitentiaries because there's so many fences everywhere. You can't see the other kids. So I was like taking notes. And I was like, pen, I, I don't even know. I still don't know. I don't know how to spell it so i mean we continue to grow throughout our lives so if we can love life if we can know what we're passionate about if we can be able to talk to other people that type of thing like those skills go a long way
1: yeah i'm glad i'm in good company i am a horrible speller as well and okay, so you also
2: can't spell penitentiary
1: no i'd have a hard out. one
2: <laughs> have to like... i tried to sound it out and i was i don't even know yeah, well, our language is so
1: bizarre, anyways. But that is a good indication of that it's not how intelligent you are. I tell my kids all the time, like it, we're not going to get caught up on the nuances of how to spell. I've made it through my life. I mean, there are some people that that is their thing. Like they want, you know, they're and some people are naturally good spellers. So it's like you just let them. Like that's great. I want to have my daughter is just naturally a speller. Someone's like, hey, how do you spell this? Like. <laughs> So I can where is she it right started. now so we can yeah. ask her <laughs> yes where is she where is she right and now?
2: my mom's right. good at that too she'd be a great editor i mean this is the thing about life is that we come how we come and i love you know there's a stephen pressfield talks about how like look your kid comes into this world you're not changing it <laughs> I mean, they are who they are. They're good at what they're good at. So focused on those things. I mean, homeschooling allows you, and I know there's a lot of people that talk about this, but homeschooling allows you to focus on their strengths. I will never be a book editor. Are you kidding me? There's no way. I put out typos on almost everything I do. <laughs> Every day my mom's texting me and she's like, hey, <laughs> you got a typo? And I try, I don't even see them. I can't even, I'm like, I know I have this problem and I still put them out. Yeah. I'm trying to fix it and I can't. So homeschooling, I think, allows you to be the one that really focuses on what is it that that kid loves and is passionate about, and you have the time to dive into those things.
1: I think the fear of failure is what really starts to bog down homeschoolers. We are, this sounds great, Jenny. I, I want to just be outside and play with my kids all the time, and and I think I'll be happier, my kids will be happier, but how does that equate to the real world when... You know, things need to happen and and they've got to get into college. You know, these are the these are the pushbacks that we hear, right, when we are talking to people that this is a foreign concept to. And my first rebuttal is how is this generation doing with that who are publicly schooled? Like this is not a (laughs) homeschool versus public school. This is a is a society who has lost its love for learning. And Mm -hmm. um bringing that back in these types of movements is what is going to change and, and, and kind of change our whole trajectory. I think as a country, if we can, if we can let go that we control, you know, you said that our child children come into the world as they are. I think a lot of the times in parenting, when I've butted heads with my kids is because I wanted them to be different than who they were. And mm-hmm. now granted, I'm, I'm a disciplinarian. I, I believe in order. I can, I have to have, you know, things are, there are, there is order in this world, but mm-hmm. having the freedom to let your kids be who they are within that order is, is a beautiful thing But I, and a lot mm-hmm. of times when I hear parent people say, oh, well, I don't have the patience to homeschool. I don't know how you're around your kids that much. You know, you, you hear all of these comments and and yeah. I mean, in some days I'm like, I don't know how I'm around my kids this much either. Like,
2: they're horrible. Like, I don't, I don't uh-huh. want to explain yeah, them. Yeah, but so much. are we sometimes. And I think, I think that's the point. It's like, to the patient's piece, it's like, well, guess what? Parenting is a place where we grow. And it's a wonderful opportunity to have growth within your own self and to change to be a different person. I remember in my pre-parenting life, I taught math while I was always good at math and I taught piano and I taught guitar lessons. I mean, you see this pattern, I taught swimming, you know, so you, you stick with these things that you're good at. And I would say that, you know, until I had kids, I didn't really grow. I just did what I was already mildly good at. Mm -hmm. And then you become a parent. And if you look at it that way, you grow as a person. And that's sort of the point of life. And I think to the fear question, which is a really big one but it is interesting if you take a step back and look at it logically we are setting our kids up for a world that is changing very fast and the world did not used to change this fast the world used to be a place where you would graduate from high school or you would graduate from college and you would get a job and you would probably keep that job for 30 years and then you would have a pension and you would retire and a large portion of the population followed that same path Well, that does not exist anymore what exists for our kids and for us here we are sitting on this podcast. This wasn't a career option when I graduated from high school. It didn't even exist so our kids are going to enter a world where they're going to change jobs. A lot of times the average currently is four job changes within the first decade of adulthood for that's four different sets of co-workers that's four bosses maybe more four sets of skills and so when we're looking to set our kids up for a world that's rapidly changing they need the skills that come from downtime they need the skills of creativity and flexibility they need to be able to talk to a bunch of different people. They need to be able to come up with innovative solutions. They have to be risky. A lot of our kids are going to be entrepreneurs. So they have to be okay with writing their own path. And so that that's the problem right now in 2023, 2024 with an adult directed childhood, because what you have then is a child who graduates at age 18 and Someone else has told them what to do for 18 years, for 15 years, for 13 years, however long. And then all of a sudden they don't know what to do in this world that is changing so fast. And you even see it, like you see it with AI, it's disrupting the job market. And there are certain jobs that are becoming obsolete and they're becoming obsolete quicker than they used to. So we're gonna have to have kids that can be on their toes and can shift. And the way that they learn to do that is by directing some of their own childhood.
1: I think that another big opportunity for parents, especially homeschool parents, since we're talking about them, is that modeling this ability to be flexible, to shift, to do things differently than even your neighbors or you were taught or how the extended family does it. It's like, well, you know, nobody else homeschools. Well, that's okay. It's okay that we're doing something different. I think you know my girls mm. were not lovers of reading, but over the years, with the amount of reading that we have done with our homeschool, and I read for fun. Um, my husband didn't grow up reading, so it's a little—he's not quite that modeling. Um, he does read a lot on his phone, so that's one of those things. But it is like now, my girl—they—they're are fr- they buy each other books for Christmas and birthdays. I mean, they—they're avid readers, but that was—they saw that it when when people homeschool, I think they're in that still in that idea that if I just tell my kids what to do, they'll believe that it's a good choice and they'll do it. But I feel like when I have seen success in my homeschooling is when I've modeled for my children what to do. And then they are doing it just like being outside. We camp, we fish, we hike, we, we do all these things have, if we had just said, you know, we'll go out and do that. Okay, fine. But when they see us doing it and see the fun that we're having, that's a whole nother
2: aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Well, John Holt talks about that, too, in that same book, Learning All the Time, where he says young children, children in general, they need to get a sense of how work is done, how adult work is done. So they need to see a book written from start to finish. They need to see someone who's made a table. They They're so siphoned off a lot of times from the adult world and then we kick them out into it. So how do you write an email? How do you have a phone call? How do you craft a life? How do you craft a family? I think that this part of homeschooling is so valuable too. Even if things are going poorly and you have to adjust, This is life, we are constantly having to adjust to change to like oh that's not really working so we're going to try something different tomorrow. And what a gift for a child to get a front row seat to that you know I used to teach in the classroom and before I had my own classroom I substitute taught. And so, one time, but only one time because I was so tired at the end I substitute taught for a kindergarten class. Okay, (laughs) that was so exhausting. I was so tired, but it was broken down by the minute. Like it was, I mean, to the three minute, four minutes you do this, the next four minutes you do that. And the child never sees the backstory of that. They never see the why. They're just shuffled down this path. And I think for kids to be able to see even the dysfunction even how we handle disagreements even how we handle when there's a really bad day when we're grieving how do we still get up and live life all of that and when kids are home you have a new baby that enters the family i mean i think that there are a lot of homeschool moms who feel guilty right they feel guilty because they've got a seven-year-old and now they have a new baby and maybe the seven-year-old's not getting as much attention for the schoolwork as they used to but guess what that seven-year-old gets to learn How do you add a baby to the family? Right. And so all of that front row seat stuff is so valuable for your kids, even when it's rocky.
1: Yeah, you had mentioned in your book, um, Community and how you have built community how community is really an important aspect of this idea that we're talking about right and in homeschooling i have one advisor that works for us that she is in the on the east coast and they have literally zero homeschool community like she is just in a in a wasteland um her words not mine <laughs> but um you i loved when you talked about like and this is what I'm I'm just going to pull it from the book cuz you said it beautifully you said better to gather imperfectly than not to gather at all because our homes weren't tidy enough and i think part of that breakdown that i've seen over the years was that that's the thing people are like well my house isn't big enough my house i don't have the right decorations i'm <clears throat> it's a mess i have three dogs you come to my house you you're going to have dog hair in
2: your scone i mean you just are you're going to have a
1: scone <laughs> it's going to be homemade but there's going to be a dog
2: it's good for your microbiome.
1: <laughs> so it, it's the back to that idea of this fear. Like if it's not perfect, I don't want to do it. I see it so many times with my kids, they want to go try something. Well, if it's not going to be perfect, I don't want to do it. And I caught myself in that, in that kind of, um, philosophy for a long time too. And it's just let it happen. You know, like you said, if it, if it's not, if you can't open your home, if that's too big of step for you, then meet at a park meet at you know a playground like there there's baby steps it's this all or nothing mentality that is i think driving our society and i just want to shout from the mountaintops like it's not worth it it doesn't have to be all or nothing it can be and not either or it can be and
2: and when you meet at a park those are actually such great places to meet up because there's no fighting about toys you really get that breath you get that exhale when you're out in nature because kids find things to do that nature provides. And so there's a lot of materials, there's a lot of sticks, there's a lot of sand and all that type of stuff. So it gives you that reprieve that you're looking for and a chance to have a conversation. Because we all know when you have little kids, you can hardly finish a sentence. But if you're in a space that, maybe a a large grassy field or place that's bounded in so you're not running after a toddler. You think they might go on the road or something like that. If you can find a space that's tucked back in a little ways or something like that, they'll, they'll go, they'll occupy themselves. You can sit and nurse your baby and and talk to a friend and have a full conversation. You could call your mom, whatever the situation is. And so that's a great, I mean, I think that's a great first option is, Hey, like, let's meet up at the park. Yeah and you get your time
1: outside, which is so many benefits. We've, we've touched on a few of those. Um, So I, I, I want you to stay on for hours. I feel like we could just spend, we could do a whole retreat together and we would just talk the entire time, but out of respect, I will stop. Um, But before we go, I would love to hear a homeschool hack that you could share with our listeners. (laughs)
2: <laughs> this is gonna be lame. Well, my homeschool hack would be to go outside. That would be mine. But but the reason I would say that is just because it's gonna give you everything that you want, but I probably should come up with something better. But I don't really think I have anything. I'm like a one trick pony. Uh, the homeschool hack, wait, wait. Like you can wait for academics. So that would be another hack that I would have too, especially if you have a bunch of young children at home. So if you're in a season of life where you have two or three kids and they're six and under, you don't have to start now. You don't have to start all these formal things. You don't have to sit for hours a day. In fact, uh, John Taylor Gatto says that it only takes 50 hours to reach, well, 50 to 100, he says, 50 to 100 hours to reach functional literacy. You probably have talked about this. I should have listened back. I'm like, maybe I'm being really repetitive. But 50 to 100 hours to reach functional literacy so so that a child could read, write, and do math to the point where they could learn anything else that they ever wanted to learn, 50 to 100 hours. So that's two, three weeks of school, that's it. So people are nervous. You know, you got a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, you got a baby, you're up at night, you're feeling like you're falling behind, but if you, I think you can get 50 to 100 hours within the whole year, within a couple of years, and you're going to get your child to the point where they love learning and they're going to go off and learn all sorts of things. They're going to leave you behind. I mean, my kids know things that I don't know. Isn't it wild? <laughs> they cross that threshold at some point where they know all sorts of things that you don't. So you can wait. There's no rush. There's no rush to be sitting at a desk for hours a day with your young kids while you're trying to juggle other little kids and that type of thing. So uh, Steve Demi, who is the founder of Matthew C., he says um, the hardest part about homeschooling is toddlers. So if you have a bunch of those, you know, you can just wait and you can play and bake and sing songs and go outside and take naps and rest and know that what you're doing is enough.
1: And and really it's more than enough. Because you're being intentional. You're spending time with your children and you're modeling for them how to be a lover of learning. And so I think that that is beautiful. All right. Well, for those who are watching, make sure you get a copy of Jenny's new book. It's phenomenal. I'm not saying that because she's on my podcast. I'm saying it because I read it cover to cover. I even cried when I told her my review when we started this podcast. So that is legit. From my heart. Um, Jenny. thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure, like I said, fanning, geeking out a little bit on my end for um, hosting you on our podcast. I appreciate your time and all the work that you're doing to support the homeschool community.
2: Thank you so much. It was an honor to be here. You could have had anybody else, but you reached out and had me, and I'm um, so thankful.
1: want to thank you guys. Until next time, bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Homeschool Your Way, a podcast by Bookshark. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you have questions you'd like the hosts to answer or have any feedback about the podcast, please visit bookshark.com podcast to leave your comments. Or you can simply email podcast at bookshark.com.